and to come up with a message to give. I believe what I'm going to share with you this morning is very important. And this has to do about the direction of this church, okay, of what I believe God is calling us to be at this time. Amen? And if you get offended that I say something this morning, that's just too bad. Uh, Becky and I were talking about this morning. There's two things that will frustrate the grace of God. One is the fear of man, and the other one is legalism. So, Lord, help us not to be legalistic or afraid. Afraid to do what God's called us to do. Amen? That's what we've got to do. Because we need the grace of God. Don't we? I'm looking for grace. Well, here's what I did recently. I wanted to go and tell you in the book of Acts, there's a man that shows up at some very interesting points all through the book of Acts. And I think this is significant. The first time he shows up, of course, this is King David, is in Acts 1. It's when they were choosing a new apostle. I'm not asking you to go there and read because I want to just, you can write it down if you want to and go back and verify that I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness. (laughs) And the Bible does because he's in there. He shows up when they're choosing the new apostle. Okay, after Judas was eliminated. Um, Acts 2, 25, verse 29, or 2, verse 25, 29, and 34. Of course, that's Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born. David is predominantly quoted and referred to at that moment. Acts 4, 25. The first challenge the church faced, in other words, they were threatened, told, don't preach, don't speak in this name anymore. The name of Jesus. Very big challenge. They had a big decision to make. What did they do? They got back together and talked about what David said. <laughs> big day. Here's another significant moment. Acts 7, 44 through 46. Of course, this is Stephen, the, martyr, the first martyr of the church. His message before the Sanhedrin, very much a turning point in the church, church's history, was on this day when Stephen spoke. And, of course, he refers to, again refers to David. Uh, Acts 13, verse 22, 34, and verse 34 through 36, on Paul's first missionary journey, David is referred to in Paul's first recorded message in the book of Acts, sort of significant time in the church's life. First missionary journey, Paul's first missionary journey, Paul's first message that was, you know, that was recorded in the book of Acts, David is referred to. Acts 15, verse 16, the Jerusalem Council. Jerusalem Council was one of the, another very significant moment in the life of the church. It's when the issue of the Gentiles was being dealt with and decisions were going to be made if the Gentiles were going to be allowed into the body of Christ. Tell me, that ain't a biggie. If you were Gentile this morning, you'd be thanking God that they talked about David. Amen? So these are all very significant uh, critical times in the early church's life where King David was referred to and brought out things he said, things he did, which should tell us, give, it's like the Bible is trying to say something to the church. You know, in other words, when the church is, I believe when the church is at a crucial turning point, then we must go, just as they did in the book of Acts, and go and look at this man, David, and find out what counsel he has for us now. Are you with me? In other words, he is still speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. He still speaks to us, just as our, the apostles, when they were at critical turning points. So we've got a great precedent here to follow, because the, the apostles, the leaders of the, of the early church, this is what they were doing. So it seemed like a good plan to me. Amen? 
I mean, I can, I can hang with this plan. I mean, if Peter was doing it and Paul was doing it and James, that, that crowd, we can run with them, can't we? Amen. The example of Israel. Let me diverge off and hold David in your mind. Acts 7. That was a, you don't, again, you don't have to turn to that. Stephen's message, in the fir- which is the first message in the book of Acts by a non-apostle. Stephen the martyr. He was not an apostle. He was a deacon. He was scrubbing toilets, cleaning tables. But God used him in miraculous ways, and God let him, he gave a great message before the leaders of that day. And it's recorded in the book of Acts. It's a very significant message. And it's significant that he was not an apostle. He was just a regular old guy that God used. It's the longest message in the book of Acts. The longest message in the book of Acts that's recorded. It's tremendous, unless you don't like long messages. <laughs> but the most important thing about Stephen's message is the subject. The subject matter, if you go and study his message, is, is Israel's spiritual roots and Israel's destiny as a people. That was the issue that he was trying to address to the leaders of Israel, trying to get them to remind them about where they came from, what God had done in their life, and where God wanted to take them. Amen? That was what his message was all about, and that's what they killed him over. Imagine that. See, Israel had disconnected themselves from their spiritual roots and destiny, basically speaking. They were disconnected from the very thing that God had placed that nation on this earth for. They had disconnected themselves from it, ran away from it. And he was there appealing to them, trying to get them to remember, this is why you're here, this is why, what God has done. Wake up! <clears throat> and they killed him. They get killed over some crazy things. Consequently, because they had disconnected themselves and refused... They missed their day of visitation. They missed what God wanted to do at that time in their life. They missed it. Totally missed God. Which meant, you know, their, their visitation was meant to bring them into all that God had for them. But they missed it. How many of us are missing it today? We're missing some stuff. There's some people in this room missing some stuff. Amen? Nah, I hate to say amen to that one, but I, I think it's the truth. Do not miss your opportunity. Okay? Now, this is interesting. In the, in the New Testament, the Lord gave, this is at least, at least, Israel five distinct opportunities. There were five crucial moments, crucial turning points in the New Testament where God was appealing to them. Five times. God went specifically to appeal to them, to let them know, to try to reconnect them, try to tell them, this is what I'm doing. You have a chance to be in on what I'm doing. You have a chance to come in all I have for you. Let me tell you what those are. I think it's interesting. First one, of course, was Jesus' three years on the earth. As, you know, I mean, that's what he kept doing. He kept going to the house of Israel, kept going to the house of Israel, kept going to the house of Israel. Many times, if you read a lot of what Jesus was doing, it was aimed. Now, you better get this one. It was aimed at the leaders. It was aimed at the leaders. You know, it says and when, when he's going to heal the man, remember, they lowered a guy down in through the roof. The Bible clearly says, the, the scribes and Pharisees, who they were the leaders that, in that day, were there, and the power of God was present to heal them, the leaders, because they were leading the nation astray. <clears throat> you got that? Of course, there was the day of Pentecost. Holy Spirit was poured out right there in the middle of Jerusalem. Everybody could see it. People from all over the place were there. 
Then there was this healing of the lame, of the lame man at the temple beautiful gate by Peter and, and John. All of a sudden, this miracle happens between these two guys. Fishermen suddenly pull off a huge miracle. Jesus didn't heal that guy. That guy was probably there. He didn't heal him on purpose. He said, yeah, you can get healed, but you need to wait because I'm going to let these guys do it. Because again, I want to reach out to Israel. Again, I want to tell them, God's here. He's here for you. Of course, that's the time they hauled them up there and threatened them because they healed this guy. That was the one in, in Acts 4. Yeah, y'all healed this guy, and y'all got to quit preaching in the name of Jesus. Somebody got healed. And this craziness. They were crazy. All right, then you got, the, of course, Stephen's message. Who, uh, you know, his message were, was to the leaders of Israel. It wasn't just a rank-and-file guy, the common old guy. It was to the bosses, the ones who could influence the nation. And that's who his message was directed at, and, of course, they had him killed. And then the last time, specific time, I believe, was when Paul, the apostle himself, was arrested in Jerusalem. Right there towards the end of the book of Acts. They arrested Paul. Paul stood up there and preached the message to them. They refused to hear it again. The Lord was trying to reach out to this nation. Now, the example is, well, let me just say, I love this. This is something I felt like the Lord showed me. First, he came. They rejected him. Then he sent his spirit on Pentecost. They rejected his spirit. Then he gave them a miracle. They rejected the miracle. Then he gave them a martyr, Stephen. They rejected the martyr's testimony. He then sent one of their very own to them, Paul the Pharisee of Pharisees. They rejected everything God did, every angle God hit them from. They rejected it. You got that? Whoa, that's scary. But the thing is, in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was destroyed. Now, Jesus wept over it. The Bible says he wept over Jerusalem because they missed their day of visitation. And he knew he was going to give these opportunities, 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 opportunities to them. And they rejected him every time. And the Bible tells us Israel is an example to us. Now, let me just say this for all you comforting. You know, the Lord is going to save Israel. I preached that a few weeks ago in Romans, <clears throat> Romans 11. Don't worry about Israel in that sense. There's a bigger picture that's at work, but this specifically. So, let me just tell you this. Your future... I believe this. I know this for sure about me. And I believe this about you. I believe this for sure about this. Your future is being determined right now. The Lord told me that. He told me specifically, Byron, your future is being determined now. Now, that scares me because this is what I keep seeing in my mind's eye. I keep seeing this boardroom in heaven. And there's these people standing around, this, sitting around this table like they do in boardrooms, and they have this file out, and guess whose name's on the file? Me. Byron Wicker's name on that file. And they, my future's being set by these people now. They're determining this is what's going to happen to this man. But I believe it's more than just me. I believe your future, the future of this church is being in, weighed in the balance right now, just like at every one of these points, their future was being set. Their future was being determined. At any point, if they would have said, Whoa, God, if this is God, we've got to repent, we've got to turn, we'd have a different, different story in the Bible. Now, that's the truth. And I believe I can say that to you this morning. I believe the Lord's saying it to you this morning. Your future is being determined right now. And you need to ask God to make that real so the fear of God will come in you. And you'd say, God, let me know what you're saying. Give me ears to hear what you're saying, Lord. Don't let me just keep being the same. Going through life the same. Now, I'm serious about this. 
I told you when I started I was serious about it. Did I? Well, I am. I'm, ex- I'm sorry about the voice. I hate listening to people's voices like this. <clears throat> but, so just ignore the voice. So our future is being determined. We need to really get with the Lord and say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying, Lord? All right. Let me just hit this thing about spiritual roots. <clears throat> just so we'll make sure we're all together. Your spiritual roots are not simply where or how you first met the Lord. Okay? It really is what God has placed in you, down in your heart, down deep inside. It's what God put you on this earth to be about spiritually. He put Israel on this earth to be about something spiritually, to be God's people, to be God's nation. It's something that when you get rid of religion, when you get rid of religion, and you get rid of everybody's expectations, all these yokes, Get rid of your own carnal and natural desires. It's the thing that's in you that really provokes you, that really is alive in you. It's in everybody. Don't tell me you don't have it in you. You've got it in you. The problem, if you're not hearing it, is because maybe you've got some yoke on you that's not from God, some carnal yoke or some religious yoke or some teaching that really wasn't the Lord, but there is God has placed it in every person. He's put something that's real in you that needs to be satisfied. It's the truth. And we walk around like, you know, blindly many times in our life, get caught up in other things. Then we get down the road and realize, this, this ain't it, Lord. This is not really what it is. The Lord uses all that. <clears throat> Are you all with me? So the Lord asked me this question one day. This is right in the middle of church. And said, is this really what's in your heart? I think I may have shared this. Sorry, my nose is running he said, is this really what's in your heart? And I just said to the Lord, well, I'll just tell you the truth, Lord, it's not. Because when he asked me, I knew it really wasn't really the thing in me. And he, this is what he said to me. Well, why don't you find out what's in your heart and do that? That's what he said to me. Just find out. And I was just like, Lord, you know what? I don't, if I, I don't even know if I could find it. And it'd probably be the wrong thing anyway. So I told him, why don't you just do this, Lord? Won't you put something in there and let me think I found that, but you really put it there, and I'll do that. So I said to him, just, you know, you don't, I don't, there don't have to be nothing there. Just put something there. And I'll just, you know, I can go on through life thinking I found God's will and God, what God wanted for me and my destiny and all that stuff. But really, it's just something you just threw in there instead of me having to go through some big deal making all these mistakes in my life. Y'all with me? Now, let's get back. To David, I just all that was just a structure for you, okay? When he had removed him, let's go into Acts 13. Let's read this one now. You hadn't, I hadn't made you read anything yet. Y'all with me? Acts 13. Thank you. Okay. Acts 13. Let's read verse 21. This is, I referred to this a while ago. This is old, this old Paul down there just preaching up a storm. And in verse 21, just sort of jumping in the middle of his message, it says, After they asked for a king, so God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. For 40 years he was a king. And when he had removed him, everybody say removed him. 
Now, let me tell you a little story. Somebody told me this story, and I was worried when they were telling me this story. I was thinking, why did they tell me that story? I don't want to hear that story. This was Sam, Pastor Sam Minnick, the guy who spoke last week. I listened to what that man says. Because he's proved himself to be very... He was saying, you know, this is what happened. He said, there was a guy, one of our pastors. they got 150 pastors they've raised up. 150 pastors. You tell me those guys aren't cooking. They're doing kingdom stuff, but it's dead serious over there. It's life and death to them, what they're doing. They don't, they're not like us. Their lives are at stake. But he said there was a, 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 one of his pastors, he got a call one night, and his wife fell over dead. He was, she was young. She was a young person. He said, man, I just didn't feel bad about it. I, I felt terrible because I didn't feel bad. And uh, he was saying, Lord, why don't I feel bad about this? You know, I should be feeling terrible about this poor guy. And, and the Lord reminded him what the woman said. A few months earlier, she was at this gathering of all their pastors. And she stood up and testified and said, the Lord has, has clearly told me that if I didn't get in with what God was doing and stop hindering his ministry, that he was going to take me home early. And the Lord did it. He took her. God took her out of the way. Now, that's Africa. That is way over the top for us. I know a lot of people in this room may have a hard time with that. But that's the way God deals in extreme circumstances. We're Americans. We're cushy. You know? It may come a day when it's not so cushy for us. We may come a day when God says, Either you get with the program or you're going home. Now, she's in heaven with the Lord. It wasn't she wasn't saved, but she she was seriously hindering her husband's ministry. She said her husband was a powerful man, a powerful man of God until he married her. And his ministry just felt started falling apart. It's because she was hindering his ministry, she was resisting it. She didn't really want to do it. Now you can have all these arguments about that, but don't apply your American way of thinking to that situation because it doesn't work. But if God tells somebody, if you don't get with the program, I'm gonna just go ahead and bring you on home, who are we to argue with him? You got what I'm saying to you? Well, God removed Saul. Now, listen. God re- will remove. God's going to remove people when they stand in the way of what He wants to do. Now, that doesn't mean He's going to take them to heaven. Or if they ain't saved, send them to hell. I ain't saying that. I'm not saying God's going to kill anybody. You know? But I am saying this. What God wants to do now, if we are not cooperative, if we are not allowing the Lord to do what He wants to do, He'll just get us out of the way. He'll find somebody who will. Are you with me? Can I get an amen on that one? I know nobody wants to amen that message. Now remember, God is patient and long-suffering. In other words, He started out and came here three years, sent Pentecost, sent a miracle, sent, you know, a, a martyr, sent, you know, a message from Paul, one of the Pharisees. That was 37 years before He finally said, well, I've... Waited 37 years and you wouldn't listen to me. And he took him out. So it didn't happen overnight. You see what I'm saying? God is patient. But I believe we're living in a time where God's saying, Listen, if you can't really step into what I'm doing now, I will take you and set you over to the side until you can. And you can sit there for a while, put you in the timeout chair. You got that? Because God's going to have His will in the earth with or without us. With or without us. Now, I think God, I believe God's saying this to us. I think God's saying, wake up. It's time to get with the program here. And there's a lot of people who are not. A lot of people are not hearing God now. But God's speaking now. He's crying out to us now. He's reaching to us now. 
And we need to respond to the Lord. All right, First Samuel 7, 1. Let me go on and talk about Saul a little bit. Here's what happened. This is before Saul became the king. It wasn't his fault. Okay? These boys got a little bit arrogant, and one day was going out to fight the Philistines, and they just hauled the ark of God up there, because everybody knew when God's ark came into the battle, even the enemies got afraid. They got scared when they heard the ark of God, because the ark of God was the presence of God. So they got in a fight one day and got whipped by the Philistines. They said, let's go get the ark and we'll fix those guys. And it said they shouted so loud, the Bible says this, that the Philistines heard it and got scared. Man, this surely means God is with them. They were scared to death of what was going to happen because they knew God was with them. But they got in this battle. The Philistines beat them and took the ark of God. Took it down here and put it in their old temple of Dagon. And, of course, that thing fell over and broke his old head and... You know, the Lord ain't worried about no temples and demonic stuff. He just step on that stuff like it just flies. He ain't scared of the devil like we get you know, all worried about the devil. Anyways, um, them, those guys started getting balls and mouses and all this stuff was starting to happen to them. The Philistine, they said, man, we've got to get this thing out of here. This is beat our God down. He's fell and broke his head off. And so they stuck it on a cart and sent it on the way. Get that thing out of here. Get God out of here. It's like a church, doesn't it? Let's get him out. He's causing problems here. He's messing with the erupt worship service. He's interrupting us, wanting to heal people of bitterness while we're trying to worship the Lord. What is wrong with God? That's where a lot of people are. Oh, God, you know, why are we doing that? We're supposed to be worshiping. That's a religious thing. And God's saying, no, nah, I, I swear we want to heal some people. Are you all with me? Anyways, the thing wound up. It said, the men of Kerjeth Jerem came and took the ark of the Lord. And brought it into the house of Abinadad on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. Now here's the point of all that. This is before Saul was king. Saul gets to be king, okay? <clears throat> he gets to be the king. Guess what he doesn't do? The whole time he was the king. Forty years. Forty years. That ark sat down there. The tabernacle of Moses sat over there. That was where it was supposed to be, over in Shiloh. Forty years it sat down there. Forty years it sat, wasn't over there in the, house, in the tabernacle. There they are for forty years making their stupid sacrifices, worshiping God, and he's down here in somebody's house. And Saul did not give a rip about it. He never mentioned the presence of God not being there. He didn't care about the presence of God. He didn't care. God's down there. We're over here doing our thing. Religion, that's what it was. Setting this man's house. So the tabernacle of Moses was there, but it was without the presence. Okay? And Saul never lifted a finger to go get that thing. Never even said a word about the tabernacle of Moses or, or the Ark of the Covenant. Never. He didn't care about God's presence. He didn't care about God. He really didn't. Saul cared about the position. He cared about the, the prestige, about what people thought of and the appearance. Well, the people are scattering, you know. Don't make me look bad in front of the people, Samuel. That was his thing all the time. That's what he cared about. Yet, the Lord was sitting there saying, I care about something else. 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 
And I think that's just a picture of the church lots of times. Is we're sitting here caring about things. Things are important to us. And God is over here standing here saying, that ain't what I'm caring about. There's a man, I was reading this little story, this guy, Ed Corley, he, he's an old man. I'm going to get him here one of these days to speak because he really knows the Lord intimately. But he was at this, what he called a spirit-led meeting. And they were in there and nothing was really happening, but he saw the Lord walking around, touching people and praying for people, ministering to people. It was real, you know, sort of quiet on the outside, but the Lord was really doing it. It was the presence of God. Then this guy comes in who, quote, knew how to lead a spirit-led meeting and said, well, y'all ain't doing this right. This is what we need to be doing. And guess what he saw the Lord himself do? He saw the Lord go and just stand against the wall and stop doing anything while they did their their thing. And it's just a classic example of us. While we do our thing, the Lord's standing over here on the side watching us. Are you with me? And here's the key of David. Let's look in verse 20, the uh, rest of verse 22. It says, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David. Now, God found this kid of a shepherd. Okay? As one person so skillfully said, he found this guy who knew how to do nothing but shovel sheep dung. He was an expert at shoveling sheep dung. That's what he was. He took care of old nasty animals out there in the woods. And the Lord said he found him. Found a shepherd to be the king. And why did he care? Why did he go after David? This is really important for us. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will do all my will. Everybody wonders, what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, I've had so many people to ask me that, but it means this. David cared about what God cared about. He cared about what was in God's heart. He didn't care about what was in everybody else's heart. He had a concern about God. That's what David concerned himself with. He loved what God loved. He found out what made God happy, what pleased God, what God was burdened about. And that's why he took on his own. He adopted it. And God said, I found somebody who would care about the things I care about. That's what I want. I want somebody who will just care for what I care about. And he found this person who would do it. This young man wasn't even called in when the anointing came. Well, we got one more, but, you know, he's just a punk, man. He don't need to be here. No, that's the one, actually. Because God has saw something in this person. God saw something in him that God's looking for. And so when we talk about getting back to our roots, and we talk about getting at crucial points, to me, what I'm saying to you is, man, we better go back and find out about this person, David. He's got something to say to us today. He's got something to say to everyone, every person sitting in this room this morning. And God's got a heart. David cared about the presence of God. And here's the cool thing. David got to be the king. Finally, after all this mess, he, you know, he got anointed three different times. You know, you know, got sitting as king three different times. Finally, you know, you know, over Jew, over Hebrew. Finally, got the whole deal. 
first thing he had to do was get a place to live, so he went up and captured Jerusalem. It wasn't captured yet. Joshua never finished it. He did that. Threw out the, the uh, Jezebites. It's a tough, tough bunch. He got that done. And then the Philistines thought, man, that David. I'm going to go get David. So they went after David. He had to fight them off, beat them real bad. So he got him in place, got the Philistines to do. What is the first thing that David does? He says, listen, I am going to go get that ark. Saul piddled around for 40 years and never even crossed his mind about the ark of God. You know, as soon as David got in a place where he could, that's what he did. He said, I'm going to get God. I can't stand not having God. I can't stand having a tabernacle where there's no presence of God. Now, that was David. That was the heart of David. That was why he was a man to God's heart. God knew that was what was going to happen. Are y'all with me? So, let's uh, look at Second Samuel. Okay, turn over to Second Samuel. Are y'all okay? Second Samuel. This is important what I'm telling you. I'm telling you it's important. This is important what I'm telling you, and I'm telling you it's important. I believe it's a word from the Lord. I believe, because what I'm trying to say to you, everybody, this is what I believe God's called us to do. This. I don't have a grand plan. I got this plan. What's on your heart, Lord? That's what I want to do. I want to go find it. That's a simple vision. So if you want to know where I want to go, that's where I want to go. I mean, I'm telling you the truth. Now, here's what you're going to say, and you should say it. Well, dang on, I thought we already tried to do that. <laughs> you know, I thought that's what we were trying to do. Everybody says that. Well, let's read that. All right, verse 9. <clears throat> of course, you know what happened. David went to get the ark. Everybody knows this story. He got that little ark, throwed it up there on that back of that wagon, started hauling that wagon the day on the ox and hit a hole in the road or something, stumbled. Uzzah stuck his hand out to stable the ark of God. God gets mad, kills Uzzah. This slam kills him. David gets scared. Oh, Lord, what in the world? says that in verse 9. Let's read verse 8. He didn't get scared. He got mad. First, got mad first. It says, And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah.